The views, information, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not represent Holding Short Media nor any organization that the speakers have been, currently are, or will be affiliated with. Hello, and welcome to the Holding Short Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Matheson. Today, we are joined by Nordia King. A native of Trinidad and Tobago, Nordia King moved to Brooklyn, New York at a young age. Having dreams of being a flight attendant, but not knowing how to break into the industry, Nordia attended university where she completed her bachelor's in forensic psychology while working as a gate agent. During her final year of school, she was able to join her employer's in-flight team. It was during her time as a flight attendant that Nordia fell in love with maintenance. However, it was not until she later moved to Canada that she was able to pursue her education in aircraft maintenance. A recent graduate of Centennial College, Nordia is now an AME apprentice at Jazz Aviation, working towards her M2 license. Nordia uses her platform to amplify the voices of women in the industry and volunteers with various organizations, including Elevate Aviation and the Aircraft Maintenance Engineers Association of Ontario, when she is not spending time with her husband and three children. I truly cannot be more excited to have her join me today. Welcome, Nordia. Hi, how are you? I am great. How are you? Good. Happy to be here. Yes, you have been on our guest list for a year or so now, and so I'm so glad that we've been able to make the time and that you are finally joining us. I feel truly honored. We'll jump right on in. How did you get your start in aviation? I um I started actually as a gate agent for a airline called Virgin America, which was acquired by Alaska Airlines. So I started as a gate agent, but my dream was always to really become a flight attendant. So after a couple of years of doing that, when the opportunity came, I joined the in-flight team at Virgin America, and it was amazing. It was actually more than I had expected it to be. Um, Later on, I ended up moving to Canada, and that's how I got into aircraft maintenance, which is the field I'm currently in now. So I always joke that if you've done customer service for an airline, you can do customer service for anything. It's such an intense environment. But how was it that flight attendant was sort of your dream job at the time? Well, when I was a kid, it started when I was a kid, like you would see the flight attendants and they all look so beautiful. The job looked extremely glamorous. So I wanted to be able to do that and travel um, for free. I wanted to do all the things that you saw flight attendants doing. So it seemed like that was, at the time, the end goal for me. There is this underlying element, I think, of coolness when it comes to aviation and uniforms. Even if it's the customer service app that you're speaking to or the ramp agent that's outside with the high-vis vest. Whatever it is, there's, there's that uniform element that is intriguing, I think, to little kids and I think even as adults. But yeah, there's, there's that element of glamour that you see usually associated with the flight attendants that I think for any kid is enough to sort of grab your attention and to be something aspirational. Yeah, it's definitely. And plus, you know, it worked out well because we had really great uniforms. (laughs) I was essentially living the dream. What I liked is my time as a CSR is that we had the same uniform as the flight attendants. So I always felt like I got all of the glory (laughs) and then didn't actually have to get on the plane and deal with everyone. (laughs) Yeah. How did you like your time being a customer service rep? I 
really enjoyed it. I worked for a regional airline and the, the coworkers I had, uh, you hear this so often in aviation, the people you work with can be what really makes it into the whole experience that it is. Um, we were a rock star team. Uh, I know we were the base that had the second highest numbers in terms of, I think, on-time performance and everything. And the one base that was ahead of us, I think, only had about two flights, whereas we were doing about 20 a day. So we all decided that we were. You guys were definitely the winners. That we were clearly the superior base. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I really enjoyed it. And yeah, the uniform, I don't know, when you're when you're like teenager wearing a uniform doesn't sound really fun. But as an adult, uniforms are the be- very best thing because you don't have to think about it. Right. I think because when you wear your uniform, you kind of associate yourself like this is my team this is my people this is my clique this is my squad and the good thing about when you're a CSR you're with those same people every day and because you're in aviation you're spending your holidays with these people your birthdays with these people like random off hours because aviation is 24 7 right so I think you build this sense of community that I really don't think anyone else can necessarily find outside of aviation. So it's something that I really enjoy. And I think it's one of the reasons why I don't think I can leave the industry because I love the people. The community element is so important and you're, you're right. It's not very often I meet friends of mine who work in different fields for whom so much of their social life, so much of the volunteerism or things they do on their downtime are still related to that industry and their peers. Um, aviation to me is not necessarily unique that way because I can think it would also maybe work in like medicine and sports. Um, but these sort of like top tier fields of yeah. performance that you need to have. And it's the same idea of your entire life sort of morphs into yeah. some, off, some offshoot of that. But uh, definitely we see that all the time in aviation. Now, over the course of your careers, you've just sort of highlighted briefly, you've gone from customer service rep, in-flight services, and now ultimately to being a maintenance engineer. What has it been like to go from all these different roles in aviation? Because they are so different from each other. I mean, seniority-wise, it's been horrible <laughs> because you have to start over, right? You have to start over every time. And that's the one thing I definitely don't like about aviation is seniority. You know, you have to start over from the bottom. But the thing I like about working in different roles is that now I have now I look at things from a different perspective because I know why on time performance is important because I was a customer service rep. So when I was a flight attendant, I know like I got a board. I got to gate check these bags. You know, I know why as working in maintenance is important to, you know, get certain things done on time because this plane needs to be ready to be pushed out. So working and why it is, it's important for the flight attendants to have like water or like their coffee, (laughs) the coffee cup clean and the coffee machine working. I understand why like certain things are important. You know, it may seem simple if you don't understand why it may suck if a seat is broken or seat isn't reclining. But when you're a flight attendant and you're on that plane and the passenger is like, um, I see this in reclining and you have to deal with an angry person for six hours on a transcon. You know, maintenance is not necessarily thinking about that, but as a flight attendant, you have to deal with that person, right? Or if a seat is inoperable, you 
that's one less seat sold, right? So the company obviously is losing money or someone is not being able to travel because a flight is sold out. So just by working in different parts of the industry, it ha- I feel like it's given me a unique perspective on how to go about doing my job because now I feel like I am able to consider um, other departments outside of the one I'm working in. Aside from just having the big picture perspective that comes from having worked in all these different roles, how do you think understanding how maintenance plays into all these different parts of any given successful flight or even being a customer service rep or in flight services, how do you think having had those experiences maybe influences the way you approach your role as a maintenance engineer now beyond just understanding maybe how the groups are all interconnected? I wouldn't say it actually influences how I do my job because safety is really important to me, but it highlights for me how unseen maintenance is, how forgettable we are because no one actually sees us, right? We're in the hangar working at night or we're down on the ramp. No one really sees us actually working. Like the people who most likely interface have their... Sorry, the people who interfaces most with people in aviation, they see pilots, they see gate agents, they see ticket agents, they see flight attendants, you know, they may even look outside and see the ramp guys like loading their bags, but no one really sees us. And it is a thankless job. And it's not that I would say that we're looking for praise, but I wish sometimes like companies because I leave the honest on the companies to let other departments see what maintenance does and how important it is that we are. You know, I, I think I think I have never felt so unseen in a profession <laughs> as I have been in maintenance. And sometimes I would say like, I do miss interacting with people because I love to interact with people, but when I'm working, working right so I think it's kind of lonely in maintenance sometimes kind of lonely noting that maintenance as exactly as you said is not really a passenger facing role it's one that is very much sort of a behind the scenes and you don't think about it unless it's every when everything is going well you don't think about it right so I guess what I'm asking is that how did maintenance get into or rather show up on your radar, given it's not a role that is often thought about, it's not really depicted. How did you decide that you wanted to become a maintenance engineer? Um, it kind of happened on over the course of time when I was a gate agent, uh, the maintenance office was right next to ours. So we would hang out with the maintenance guys a lot. And I remember at the time, we only had one <laughs> female AME. This was, but she wasn't in our base. I was based in JFK. She was based, I believe, in San Francisco. We had one. And I remember seeing her and I was like, what <laughs> is happening? By the time I left, we had two. <laughs> but uh, I remember feeling like, oh, whoa, I think I, we're doing this. Women are out here doing this. Okay. And I didn't think too much of it. But then when I became a flight attendant, maintenance will always come on the plane and they would have to fix something. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> and I would look and I would pick, I'm like, okay, this looks interesting. 
but I never felt I could actually do it because I wasn't a hands-on person. And I think I got so caught up being a flight attendant and having that role become like part of my personality, right? Because I'm the fun flight attendant. I didn't think that I could be a mechanic or like, you know, AME. It wasn't until I moved to Canada and I ended up having to quit my job as a flight attendant, I didn't give maintenance a chance. Also, one of the reasons the school where I lived was really expensive and I couldn't afford it. So that was also a problem. I just couldn't afford to go to school for maintenance where I lived. And when I moved here, I was I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but I wanted to be in aviation. So I had applied to be a flight attendant, but I am not bilingual <laughs> and French was a requirement. So I kind of felt like, wow, this is it. Like it's over. And my husband said like, well, why don't you try this? And I'm like, I don't know if I can do it. I was like, I don't I was making so many excuses. Like, I don't know if I can do it. I'm not good with tools. I don't know. He's like, just, you know, relax. Like you can learn these things. And I applied to the program at Centennial and I got in. And when I got in, I was nervous. I was super nervous because it was the start of the pandemic. So I went to school during COVID. It, they were saying it was going to be online. And I'm like, well, first of all, I don't know what I'm doing. So how am I going to learn if it's online? But the professors there and the way that they organized the curriculum, it didn't matter because we ended up having labs. Um, they were alternating labs. It was, um, there was social distancing in place. It wasn't like a full lab class. They, instead of 40 students, it was down to 10 and if you've ever been to Centennial, like 10 students is not a lot to be in a lab because the labs are huge. So um, I remember we had a class tools. It was a class called tools and they taught you how to use tools. So that was also like really helpful. And now that it's over, I look back and I'm like, oh, I did it. I did. I feel like really accomplished and I'm happy that I made the leap and I didn't get in my own way. I say I can appreciate the idea of not wanting to be in your own way. And I cannot remember who this quote is attributed to, but there was a, a very, I guess, prominent woman who said that she woke up every day, looked in the mirror and said, women, get out of my way. Because yeah. um, you can sometimes be the first person to say no to yourself and take yourself out of the running for different opportunities. Um, you noted that in your previous company, they had, I, I mean, I can sort of say they effectively doubled their number of women maintenance engineers. I mean, one to two, but it's, hey, it's technically a doubling of the number. But really, even based on 2016 data from Transport Canada, less than 3% of maintenance engineers identify as women. Why do you think, now having done it yourself, that there are so few women that enter into the maintenance facet of aviation? Um, I think because a lot of times we don't know that it's available and we don't know that it's really a, an option for us. I think sometimes 
we get boxed in to roles. It's even like now they're becoming more female, more women are becoming pilots, which is amazing. And I think maintenance hasn't really caught up yet because it's also one of those jobs where you don't see. So if you don't see it, you don't hear about it. It's not being promoted. How would you know it's an option for you? It's hard to be it. I only knew about aircraft maintenance because I was in aviation and I saw it. Hmm. I, that's the only, and there, and the reason why I say that is because in my city, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. In New York, there's a school called Aviation High School. And I had no idea that school existed. And when you graduated, you would get your AMP license. And I had no idea that school existed because no one told me. No one told me at all. But I definitely went to a school where nursing was promoted, where all these other roles that are traditionally held by women are promoted. So no one told me. No, I mean, that, that, that is the reality, right? It's the idea of if you can see it, you can be it. And that does make a difference. If it's a role that you're not really exposed to even until you're in the industry itself, it's hard to know it's out there. Um, I can even just sort of think to my own experiences that eventually getting into aviation going, well, of course, planes will have their own maintenance regimes and people. That makes sense. But it wasn't, again, until I was there doing it myself, rather doing aviation myself, that I understood, oh, there's all these different roles. And I mean, even now I continue to find roles I'd never heard about. But maintenance being such a critical foundation of the industry, it is surprising how underrepresented it is even just within the industry, let alone outside of it. Yeah. Um, it's not even here in Canada, for some reason, it's not even considered like a skilled trade. It's so, so weird. So, so, it's so unbelievably sad to me because for something that's so critical, aircraft maintenance, for it not to be considered a skilled trade blows my mind. and. Just to touch on why women are probably not getting into the field. Sometimes I think in male-dominated industries, it can be intimidating to be one of the few, right? Or the only. Yeah, or the only. It can be very intimidating. You're wondering like, well, what is it going to be like? Are they going to take me seriously? How do I have to be? How do I have to present myself? Like, is it worth it? it it's I, I was talking to one of my friends and I was telling her like being in a male dominated industry is this you you suffer from your own form of PTSD sometimes because like it can be so traumatizing at times when you're the only one and you feel like you have to either be one of the guys, right? Which could necessarily, which could mean like you're really essentially changing who you are, your personality to fit in. So you don't really create any waves or you don't want to be that girl. Or you have to be so, so good that no one would ever, you have to be better than them, right? But don't be too good because you don't want to seem like you're a know-it-all. It, it, you need, it's like you need therapy at the end of every shift. 
because like, who are you going to show up? Who am I going to show up as today? Yeah. Even from my own experiences, it's this idea of you don't always get to bring yourself to work or you feel like you can bring parts of yourself, but there are certain conversations I have. And I mean, everyone's like this, understandably. So no one is fully themselves, I think at, at, in their workplaces, because that's just not how <laughs> work work works for most people yeah. that you just get to sort of authentically be yourself all the time in every possible way. But yeah, definitely sort of a, a practice and mindfulness of how do I want to go into this? How do I want to really, I guess, more of a focus on how do I want to be perceived by the people around me? Yes. Because that is going to impact my experience here, regardless of who I am. Yes. How am I going to be perceived today? Or how do I want to be seen? Right. And I feel like there's also this burden of wanting to be seen in a positive way because you also want them to be inclined to hire more women right because you don't want to be like oh like look at the last time we hired a woman like look how that turned out (laughs) it's this bird it's like can I just come to work (laughs) it's this and I don't know if it's like we're doing it to ourselves and it's really not like we're creating this like situation for ourselves I don't know if it's us or I don't know if it's really just the environment that we're working in. Like, are we having all these perceptions because we're creating it in our minds and no one really, they don't really care or do they care? Now I'm jumping around a bit here because through your time as a maintenance engineer student, you were able to compete at the Ontario AME conference in 2021 and you were voted the top student competitor at the skills competition. Um, for this, you were awarded with an initial type course on the Q400. What was that experience like both personally and professionally to find yourself at this competition and then the recipient of a Q400 initial type course? Can I say they actually had to, um, the AM, the organization, um, his name is Lewis Anderson. He actually had to convince me to come and compete. And I was just like, no, I don't want to do this. <laughs> like, I really don't because I wasn't, confident, you know, and that's a little bit more an imposter syndrome, but I wasn't confident. I was scared. I didn't want to do it. And I ended up calling my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law and I asked them, I said, do you guys think I should do this? What if I lose and I end up looking like a fool? What's going to happen? I don't want to do that. I don't want to be embarrassed amongst like my peers and my future colleagues. And they were just like, do it for the experience. Right. And when I, so I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And I signed up and they assigned me to team elevate, which I love elevate aviation. And I'll talk about that later, but the women on my team were so phenomenal. When I got there, it was like, I could breathe because I was tense. I was nervous. And I was just like panicking. They were like, calm down, (laughs) relax. Like first and foremost, we're here to have a good time. And that put me at ease a lot. And what I liked is that everyone basically played to, you know, their strengths. Like um, I, throughout the day, I was really nervous. I was watching and when it came my time to like do my task, I did them. And I honestly did not think that I won. And I remember when they announced my name, I was standing there looking around like, all right, okay. (laughs) 
and they're looking like it's you like you I'm like what I'm like, like what me no no and they were like yes you won I was just still standing there like all right who won congratulations to them congratulations right and it was me and I felt a flood of emotions and I was so happy and shout out to Flight Path International for donating such an amazing prize because it's a huge deal as a student and as an apprentice to even have a type course right because it's a big deal and I am forever grateful the experience was amazing and I actually just finished doing the practical on the type course so that was uh, an amazing experience in itself so So did you ever follow up with Lewis to say you were right? Every chance he gets, every chance he gets, he reminds me, remember when I had to convince you? And even on my LinkedIn, he's like, and to think you almost didn't compete. Like, okay. (laughs) Like, so it was um, really grateful to my in-laws who actually gave me the push because a lot of the things that I'm doing now is through family support. Like my family has been so supportive of me during this journey especially since I have, you know, three whole kids to take care of. So it's, it's been amazing. Now you mentioned that you've just done the practical element of the initial type course. Uh, If I understand correctly, there's sort of the practical and then also the more like what I think of as like a ground school related to more of the like academic side almost. Yeah. I did that first and I just finished a practical. So I'm done. You're done, 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 done. What was it like to actually go through that experience? Um, huh. So a lot of times when people take type courses, they've already been working on the aircraft for a while now. They're already either licensed or close to being licensed. And I am obviously still an apprentice. I just graduated in June. So taking a type course on a plane that I had never worked on before was difficult because I couldn't see things. I didn't really know, but I, so I had to study. I had to study really hard. And I was fortunate enough to have instructors understand that, hey, she's never seen this aircraft before. So I am so grateful that they took the time to thoroughly explain certain things to me. So I could understand it because the thing about aviation is always finding someone to, to teach you, right? Because I, I don't know everything and having instructors um, take the time to explain things to me. And even my classmates who they've been working there, my classmates, they've been working on this aircraft for years. One of them, he's like a base manager. He's just like this genius and they're like, no, they're so encouraging. Like, oh, no, Nordia, you got this. You got this. <laughs> you know, during like we would have reviews in class, like going over everything. And I'm like, no, you got this. No, you, you know, like encouraging you and building you up, which is something I love about aircraft maintenance in itself. Like everyone like building you up, like, oh, no, you got this. And taking the time to explain like finer details to me that, um, that a book can't necessarily explain. So the course was great and the practical was even better because there's nothing like going on the aircraft and actually touching 
the things that you just read about and performing some of the tasks that you just learned about. So the Q400 is a beautiful aircraft and I love it very much. And I think because it's my first type course, it would always be my favorite. I can definitely see how it can be sort of endeared forever as, as the favorite. Um, do you have a particular maintenance task on the Q400 that is your favorite? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> is there like a number, like a couple up for like contention or is it just like you, you do it? It's a plane. There's not really favorites. No, I haven't, you know, because I, even though I've completed the type course, I haven't had the opportunity to work on the aircraft as much because um, the airline I work for, we have multiple aircrafts in our fleet. So I don't always get the opportunity to work on the queue, but when it's there in the hangar, I'm there like, please put me on it. (laughs) So, and my crew chiefs do their very best to, put me on so I can get um, more experience. But I think like any AME, my favorite would always have to be anything that's close to the engine. Let me touch it. Let me, let me work on it. Let me touch the propellers. So it's, um, I think that would be my favorite if given the opportunity so far I've only removed like the horizontal stab and did like hydraulic checks and things like that I would say maybe in terms of like enjoyability or how how challenging something is um there's sort of variance there but like as far as I'm concerned it's all like just beyond it's just all so cool it's all so technical you're probably saying things that are very like beginner level but to me it's like oh no that that sounds like a whole a whole project. (laughs) Now, as you noted, presently you work as a line maintenance apprentice with Jazz Aviation. What does a typical workday look like? And I fully understand that when it comes to maintenance, like most things in aviation, no two days are ever the same. Right. So first of all, nights. (laughs) That's what my work days look like. Nights, dark. Um, I work a 12-hour shift at Jazz. Um, I'm on a four, five, five schedule, which means I four days on five days off, five days on five days off. And it kind of rotates like that. Um, my shift starts at around like seven 30 ish when we go in because I'm an apprentice, I get assigned to work with an ACA, which is someone who is already licensed and certified. I, they normally get assigned a work order, which is a big package full of tasks. So what they do is assign each apprentice, like, well, you can do this, 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 and this. And a lot of times um, certain ACAs would ask you about your logbook, like, hey, like, what do you have left to be signed off in your logbook? They can go through it. And if there are tasks on the work order that fit your logbook, they would actually show you how to do it and let you do it a couple of times. So this way you can get comfortable so you can get eventually signed off on that, which is a huge deal to an apprentice is obviously getting signed off because we want to be licensed. So I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of great ACAs at Jazz who's been very helpful to me so far in my career. So far, since I just started, I've been doing a lot of service checks, which I really enjoy because it's kind of, I like to call it like the standard, you know, you do the oil, you check tire pressures and things like that. 
So I feel like getting comfortable with those tasks. I call it character building tasks. <laughs> Once you get comfortable with those tasks and you move on to bigger things. And yeah, and then the shift um, normally ends like around 6.30. Some nights it can be a little bit dull because we don't have, may, may not have a lot of work to do that day or you may finish. So I try to go around and ask if anyone else needs help so I can get more experience. But so of course the work that you're doing as a maintenance engineer, um, it's varied. As you said, you could be doing service checks, you could be doing stuff related to the horizontal stabilizer. Um, but there's, it's not only just about the work itself and the different tasks that you have on the aircraft. There's so much more that goes into what your experience is like in that environment. So what for you are maybe the most challenging and the most rewarding aspects about being a maintenance engineer? The most challenging part is accepting sometimes that I, I don't know everything, that I will never know everything because maintenance is always changing and it's such a dynamic feel where sometimes the rules change or you may have like a service letter. So you may be doing things one way one day and it's like, oh, nope, nope, nope. You have to do it this, <laughs> this way now. And um, going with the flow and also like getting out of my own way and not letting imposter syndrome like really overcome me because a lot of times I sometimes don't feel confident in my abilities as an engineer and it can be hard because sometimes I would look at a manual and read the task and it would seem so overwhelming and then I will go do the task I'm like oh wait it's just this because, you know, sometimes the manual is just filled with a bunch of words, a bunch of instructions. And when you get to the aircraft, it's like, oh, it's like three steps. Okay. So, so getting over imposter syndrome and having more confidence in myself is something that I still struggle with, even though I was nominated top student, you know, it, it's, I still haven't quite gotten over it yet. I am not sure if I ever will. Um, in this industry, I kind of don't mind if I don't get over it because it's always good to have like a second or third pair of eyes look over your work just from a safety standpoint. So that has been the hardest part for me. The most rewarding part is when I finish. <laughs> when I finish a task and all is well, that's actually the most rewarding part. See, the thing about maintenance that I love is being able to see my work. It's right there in front of me. I don't have to wonder if it's good or not. I can see it. And every day when I go into work, I'm really, really happy. And I leave work really happy, tired, but happy because I feel like it's another day that I'm able to accomplish something that I didn't think was possible. Um, we've had different maintenance engineers on our show over the years, and I believe all of them have said the same thing. It's seeing that final product. It's being able to sign it off. If you have the ACA stamp that you're releasing this aircraft, seeing it coming out of the hangar when it's all done at the end of its time in maintenance, that it's that element of we did it. It's done. I did this. I helped make this happen. I helped fix this. Um, 
I can't imagine how rewarding that is, but it's what is consistently told to me by maintenance engineers. So I can only imagine it must be pretty darn great. It feels incredible. Even from the, the view of an apprentice, even though I can't at this time release an aircraft, knowing that whatever task that I did because it's not just one person working on the aircraft, which is great. So it's a whole team. And that's another thing that I love. It's everyone working together. You have like five, six guys, girls working on an aircraft together, but we're all, our goal is to make it airworthy. And that feels really good when it's over. And it's like, yeah, I did this. This plane can fly. People are going to be safe. I feel good about that. As I, again, I, I know how proud I am when I put Ikea furniture together. So I can only imagine <laughs> <laughs> how incredible it would feel to be part of a team working on something as, as nifty and as wonderful and as sort of high stakes from a safety perspective as a plane as compared to like my Ikea bookshelf. Yeah. Now you had mentioned that you had gone back to school to become a maintenance engineer sort of at the time of COVID, but also you had just welcomed your third child um, with your husband, um, which to me sort of blows my mind because I always think that that is just just such a huge life event. Um, But with that, specifically now with your current role in aviation, what importance do you place on the representation of motherhood within aviation, specifically for the roles that are not traditionally held by women? I... I place great value on being a mother. And I think a lot of times in roles where women want to be represented, you will have people who would say, there shouldn't be any special accommodations being made because, you know, it's, we're all equal, we're this. But for some mothers, I may have to use my 15 minute break to go pump breast milk in the room or there's no room, right? There, there's no room to accommodate things like that. And um, just a side note, when I went to school at Centennial, I remember messaging the admin saying, hey, I'm a breastfeeding mom. And she's like, yeah, no problem. I will find a room for you. And she found a room and made accommodations for me. So during, like in the between classes, I would have a room so I can pump breast milk because I have to feed my child. And I also think that may be why a lot of women don't get into male-dominated industries because they feel as though like certain accommodations will not be made for them. And I have three kids. So my kids are always going to be my top priority and working in a field like aviation where everything is about on-time performance and being there and showing up. At times you may feel like you have to sacrifice one for the other or you may have to choose like, okay, is it going to be my kids this time or is it going to be my job this time? And I hate that feeling because I felt it even when I was a CSR and I felt it when I was a flight attendant and now I'm feeling it being an AME like my kids this whole week as you know they've been sick right it's flu season there's a virus going around like I 
my daughter was in the emergency room. I had to call out of work. And I was sick. I had a fever, but I was about to go to work with a fever because I know how important it is to get those planes fixed in the hangar overnight so they could fly the next day. But how safe would that be if I went to work sick and got other people sick? Or like, how safe am I if um, with a fever, delirious, like fixing anything? It's not necessarily the safest. And I think that's something men don't often have to worry about, right? Because it's something people expect women to worry about all the time. Like, you have kids. What is she going to do? You know, are you going to take time off? And it's something that I worried about when calling out of work, like, oh, are they going to say, here she goes, taking this family day because her kids are sick. It's something I feel like women worry about all the time that men don't worry about. And as a mom, my kids, I made a conscious decision that my kids come before everyone, right? Because I can't replace my children. I can't replace them. Um, I can be replaced at my job very quickly. <laughs> I can be replaced, but my kids can't be replaced. So I make a conscious decision when I'm applying to a company that they understand that I am a mother first, right? And everything else is second. So I make conscious decisions who I work for, what company I want to work for, because are you going to understand that? Well, my kids are first. I am a mother. My kids may get sick. Are you going to penalize me for being sick? Or are you going to penalize me for taking care of my kids? Right? Um, I think when companies, when companies in aviation are creating policies, it's very general. And you can't be general because not everyone is the same. Not everyone has the same lifestyle, right? And it's not that I'm saying special accommodations should be made for women or mothers or, any, or anyone. I think that companies need to realize that they're hiring people and not machines. And there's no difference between me being a mother and needing a day to take care of my sixth child or a father. And a father, because a lot of the men I work with, they're fathers. There's no difference between us that we all have responsibilities outside of the job. But know that when we show up, we're going to give it our best. Because there's been days where I've seen people work way past their shift just to get the task done. They could have written it off and passed it to the next shift, right? But I've seen them stay and stuck with it and finish the job just because of the level of dedications that I see AMEs have in finishing their task right so I think being a mother in this industry is hard but it's not harder than being a father in the industry I just feel that sometimes women may get penalized or watched more than men.
because it's also so few of us. So even in that, I, even knowing that the daycare has my husband's number and he's, they're instructed to call him first before they call me. I'm the last option. Don't call me because I am wired in a sense to be so afraid to take time right? Because I don't want to be perceived as someone who is just like, oh yeah, she's always going to take an A on American. I don't want to be perceived that, as that person. I have to say, I know when we were putting together the questions for your interview, I wrestled with myself to say, should I even ask her about motherhood? Because as you noted, what's the difference between parenting as a woman versus as a man um, in aviation? But there is sort of maybe that that undue expectation that we all have of women generally being the primary parent and yeah. how that sort of makes its way into um, the way that families often do different things. Yeah. Um, I think it, I say, I, I stand firm that it was, it was right to ask you about being a mother in aviation and maybe you might feel differently. But it was this idea to me that because there are so few women maintenance engineers, um, and the ones I do know, I would say a good portion of them are parents and do have children. And I believe them to be the primary parent of their children. But even with that, it just seems still so novel to yeah. see representations of motherhood in aviation, particularly in roles that are not traditionally held by women, because yeah. it's, it, it feels still so new, even though men have been parents in those fields for ages. But right. for somehow it's novel that women are doing it. And I don't know why. I have no idea either. It's always seemed like, oh, people when they find, oh, you have three kids. <gasps> and like, everyone was like, oh, you have three kids. Oh, that must be so hard. And you're doing this? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, it's one of those things like, what, what, why not? No one asks my husband, like, oh my God, you're a millwright and you have three kids. How are you doing it? Because he also works 12-hour shifts. No one ever asks him, like, how are you doing it? Because they expect that his wife is doing it. But what I love about my marriage is that we're both doing it. We're both, this is why I tell, like, the daycare, call him first. <laughs> call him first don't call me call him first because I don't like that you assume that I'm the one that's available right because I work nights he works days I sleep during the day what I'm no good to anyone during the day so it's it's I hope I can only hope and pray that that changes as more women get into male-dominated industries especially aviation Right, because even with female pilots, oh, how are you leaving your kids for so many days? Well, I don't know. How is this male pilot leaving his kids for so many days? How, how is he doing it? Same way, I'm pretty sure. Now, who is someone in aviation you admire and why? Oh, my mentor. So I have the best mentor. Hence, I have two mentors. But the one I'm talking about, her name is Jessica Burns. She retired from WestJet and now she's a professor at Centennial. And I met her through Elevate Aviation. They have a mentorship program and she also has three kids. So it was like 
oh, okay, so you're doing this, you did this, you have three kids, you struggle too? Okay. So having someone like her in my corner, coaching me, guiding me, letting me know like, no, yeah, this is normal. Oh, wait, no, that's not okay. This telling me what I can expect. Having someone who is, who's done it, right? Who's done it and she did it well. (laughs) She's amazing. Everyone loves her. So that helps. It's, I admire her so much because she moves with so much grace and her reputation is solid, right? And she she is authentically herself, which is, who I strive to show up as every day myself. And I get that from her because I used to, like I told you, struggle with, wait, who am I going to be today? Am I going to be this? So I show up to work authentically as myself because that's the only way I can be. And I think that's the only way I would last because oftentimes you find women leave the industry because it can be a lot. And she not only has she stayed, she stayed, she retired. She's now doing so much work to amplify the voices of women in aviation and encourage more young women into becoming AMEs and showing them like, this is such a fun, amazing job to do. And I love her so much. Because even when I would have my meltdowns, like Jessica, I can't, I would have meltdowns, like Jessica, I can't do it. And she's just basically like, you push through, you're doing great. And I think she's the greatest ever. (laughs) And I look up to her very much because when I look at my future and I think about where I want to be, I see her. I see, I see her very clearly. One of the first things you noted about Jessica is that you both have three kids and how for that reason, she was someone you clicked with right away. And she continues to sort of be an example of where you see yourself and where you want to go. Yeah. Do you see yourself or do you recognize that just by you existing in aviation with your three kids in maintenance, that you're that person for someone else? Not until you said it. (laughs) 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 <laughs> Not until you said it. I I hope so, because, and that's such a wonderful compliment, because one of the things I worried about was, am I too old to be going back to school? I even text my brother-in-law, Dave, that today, like, am I too, how old is too old? Because I am 37. So I started when I was 35. I started a program when I was 35. And of course, everyone there was like way younger than I am, right? But the good thing about being older and going to school is I think I have a lot more, I had a lot more discipline, right? I I was more focused. I knew how to manage my time better. Um, And because I felt like I have a lot to prove because I couldn't fail. I, my family sacrificed so much. I miss time with my kids. I had to pay to go to school. My husband sometimes had to take days off from work. Um, I am still a mom, 
So I would have to study three o'clock in the morning sometimes after I put my kids to sleep and got myself ready. I'd say, you know, I would have finals and I hope that someone can see me and see what I've, what I am accomplishing right now and say like, yeah, I can do this. I can do this too. Yeah, Nadia is doing this. I can do this. I think we touched on earlier the idea of if you can see it, then it's possible. Yeah. And by you and Jessica both being out there, such strong advocates for women in maintenance, such strong advocates for mothers in maintenance, you too, uh, as well as several other women maintenance engineers, I know who are also moms, you guys are what makes it possible for the next woman with kids to go into maintenance or next one who wants to have children to go into maintenance because it shows here are the women who are out here doing it and doing it well. It is an option. It is possible. Yeah. Uh, you will have to tell Jessica that you name drop her because this is just glowing. Like she can't, <laughs> you need to give her a heads up that she's going to be mentioned in this episode. Oh yeah. I'll tell her. <laughs> I'll tell her. I just, it's, you know, in this industry, aviation, as you know, is so small. I, and not only in this industry, I think in all industry, you, it's always good to have a mentor. And I say this, and I, I keep saying this, you need a mentor, you need a champion. Because I, I heard somewhere, your mentor is someone who's going to guide you through the process that's going to give you advice, that's going to help you set career goals, that's going to sometimes motivate you or sometimes in a way I want to say like put the battery in your back <laughs> and amp you up to do things but your champion that's the person that's going to speak your name in the rooms when you're not there that's going to create sometimes opportunities for you that you didn't know existed and and Jessica I think I found both. <laughs> I think I found both. And there have been people throughout this journey in Elevate and in the AME Ontario who have championed me this entire way that make it possible, in a sense, for more women to come into this industry without fear of taking up too much space. And that's one of the things I love about Elevate because they're a women organization and their whole purpose is to really bring more women into aviation. And they're, they're doing a phenomenal job at that. But AME Ontario is very specific to maintenance. And the organization in itself, their goal is to promote and mentor. And it was through them that a lot of the opportunities that I've been afforded was possible. It's sometimes surreal to look back and see how far I've come. Because sometimes I think about, oh, I wanna move back to the US, I miss America, I miss New York, I miss Brooklyn. But I don't think that I would have had the same support there that I do have here, right? I, I really cannot believe, like when I came here, I 
was a flight attendant. Yeah, I was a flight attendant when I came here and then I wasn't. And that period was very sad for me of feeling lost and not knowing quite where I wanted to be or where I really belonged. And that was just a few years ago. And looking back on my journey through school, even from first year, not knowing how to use tools to now be able to use tools effectively and do things like lock wiring and fixing components. I look at my journey now and all I can say for myself is like, wow, like I cannot believe how far I've come. And I'm very excited to see what's next for me. And I can only hope that through platforms like this, that people listen and realize that aircraft maintenance is an amazing field to get into for women, especially because some days, I have some days where I put on my, <laughs> my safety vest and I feel like such a badass. There are some days where I really go to work and I feel like a badass, like I'm doing this and I'm one of the 3%. And it feels really good. What advice would you have for someone considering a career in aviation maintenance? I think anyone who wants to get into aircraft maintenance should. It's a very interesting feel. It's not something, I feel like even aviation as a whole is not something you kind of get stuck in. You know, you're not getting stuck in one role. So even if you start off in aircraft maintenance, you can also branch off into other aspects of aviation and aviation maintenance, especially if safety is something that's very important to you. I would also say, like, don't be afraid, especially if you're someone who feels like you're not the most hands-on person or you're not the most technical person. I don't think that should stop you either. I think all you need is a genuine love and, I guess, passion, I should say, for safety. And I think sometimes that's really all you need. It is really, though, an industry that requires passion. I think some people sort of accidentally find themselves in aviation but for the vast majority it is a passion it's something that you wanted to do for a really long time and as you said getting into one role can oftentimes lead to all different sorts of roles so it's uh yeah I, I I like the advice that just go for it because it doesn't have to just stop with maintenance yeah you can I think you can always change because who knows in a couple of years I may change my mind and I want to do something else only, only time would tell, but for now, like this is my love and this is my passion. Now, would you please share with me a favorite memory or highlight from any point in your aviation experiences so far? One of the major highlights for me is always doing events where we get to promote aviation and getting to see young people interested in aviation and being that person that says like, hey, come take a look at this. This is really cool. And piquing their interest a little bit more. So doing all those 
um, like volunteer shows and being parts of um, volunteer organizations, for me, that's always the biggest highlight is in giving back, giving back. That is the one thing about aviation is that so often we're not able to sort of directly repay the people that have helped us along the way. For example, the mentors, the champions, they can be people that we know support us and we know back us, but it's hard to always express a direct thank you or to be able to help them in the same way that they've helped you. So it really is an industry that relies on that paying it forward to the next group of people. It's something that is so common throughout, I think, all facets of aviation, but it's so special because everyone does it. You pay it forward because someone did it for you. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's definitely the part I love the most because I get excited. I get excited when, okay, so the other day Centennial hosted a Jill of All Trades event and they took a bunch of high school girls from, I guess, like across the, maybe the GTA area and they came to Centennial the Ashtonby campus and they had different stations set up. And of course, like myself, Jessica, um, her husband and two of her other coworkers who are phenomenal Amy's. They're like really badass as well. <laughs> One, her name is Sam and the other, I believe her name is Sharice. They were showing girls, young girls, how to do certain things, how to lock wire, how to make like a DC motor with a battery and like a coil, um, how like electromagnetism works. And her husband was over there explaining how a turbine engine works and seeing the look on their faces and having them see that, hey, whoa, aviation maintenance is a thing because they also went through like um, modules where they were doing like construction work and they were doing um, motorcycle maintenance and having them come over to us and play with the engine or try to lock wire like a turnbuckle together and giving them that hands-on experience where I think a lot of people don't get those for me are the greatest experiences or even the conference that um, AME Ontario has every year where they have a bunch of guest speakers talk about different facets in aviation and they have a bunch of different companies there where you if you're a student you could go around and hand out your resume and you can set up tours with some of the companies so you can see what it would be like to work there. I think those experiences are invaluable. And this year, I had the opportunity to emcee the skill challenge, which was so important to me because the year prior I won. So being able to be a part of it and emcee it felt like a very full circle moment for me because I know what it's like to compete and be afraid and now I was able to be a nice calming voice of reassurance for those competing this year so being involved in um, moments like that are the best for me now before you wrap up today where can our listeners find you on social media so I'm listed on LinkedIn as Nordia King and my Instagram is at Nordy underscore B we will be sure to have both those links in the episode description for our listeners. 
Nordia King, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. The Holding Short Podcast is a production of Holding Short Media. The show is written and hosted by me, Laura Matheson, and edited and produced by Cameron Bokoff. Our music is an original composition of Riley Searle. If you would like to learn more about the show, the Holding Short Podcast is on Instagram and Facebook at Holding Short Media. Please subscribe, rate, and review us. Thank you.